Hey everyone, welcome to Two Rivers, Two Takes. I'm Daryl. And I'm Philip. And we are here to cover the last episode from the first season of Wheel of Time. Yeah, we are. Um, first, before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to the Ex-Wife podcast for having me on their Xmas special. So the Ex-Wife podcast covers X-Men comics, and it's sort of where we got our inspiration to do our podcast, where um, Justin over there is the longtime expert on the X-Men, and his wife, Alicia, is brand new. So it was his basically maniacal scheme and plot to get his wife to start reading the X-Men. Um, and they've been doing a great show over the past year plus, actually. And it's a lot of fun to listen to. So if you are into the X-Men or Marvel comics, check it out. It's the ex-wife, not as in former wife, but as in X-Men. So... Ex-Wife Podcast, thank you for having me on. And Alicia does amazing cosplays as well. Yeah, she does. Um, and she uh, makes everything. She made some great get-ups both for herself and Justin for New York Comic Con this past year, too. So check them out. Yeah. Um, so this episode, there's a lot that one went on. And I was speculating, I think it was last episode um, of our podcast, of how they were going to really give us cliffhanger moments, and they really delivered. They did. And I'm still holding out hope that there's still going to be a version of the Eye of the World from the books, where it's sort of this oasis and there's a green man there. But... I, I don't think so. I don't think that's coming. It was, I know. I It's just my own... I would I love to see that because the Nim are so fascinating to me. Um... They're just made out of plants, and I love plants. And they're singing, like, how they and the way of the leaf and the ogier all sort of combine into this great power situation. But anyway, that's a lot of... And yeah, they may get to that some other... Yes. ...throughout this entire season. So they might get to that in a future season, but it's probably not going to be in any way that you... The greatest at social media things. I often have Daryl do all the Instagram things for me because I don't know how it works. But I was listening to some or looking at some stuff on Twitter, and apparently there are book folks, people who are like, "How can you do this to the canon?" Rawr. and like sort of going off on all the deviations from the books and like, "How dare they? This isn't this isn't my wheel of time." in a very dramatic fashion. And then other people are like, it's a show, it's an adaptation. Like, it's got all the people involved that it should. Harriet McDougall, Brian San Brandon Sanderson. Um, and I'm trying not to be one of those book cloaks that's just like, how dare they? Well, I, I think we, we acknowledge, like, it's made for a TV show. Like, a lot of things that work in the written word don't work on... A TV show, you have to make it fit within episodes, like, so, as much as I would love to see the Green Man, like, I get why they don't have it, and so I'm hopefully not coming across as a temper tantrum of, show me the Green Man. And I think it is really cool, leading up to the finale, Rafe Judkins, the showrunner, did a Q&A on Instagram, and, yeah. and one of the comments directly applies to that. And you said when we were making this, we knew we weren't going to get the longtime book fans. 
like that was our expectation is that the longtime book fans who read all 14 books and were like adherence to canon as it comes to the written word we probably weren't going to get them yeah it was a 50 50 of like either they'll love it or they'll hate it but then they also made it with the intention of having an audience of people who had no idea what was happening in the books and would only know the show and to make it concise and world building enough for total new people who are watching the show yeah so that was a, a good way to sort of thread that needle and i and he even followed up and said, it's surprising we're getting a ton of people that we didn't think we would reach. That On both ends. Yeah, yeah. And, and even like people who typically aren't that into fantasy sci-fi stuff are giving it a try and liking it. So it's interesting. They again, leading into the finale, of course, it's a marketing thing, but they said it's still the number one show on Amazon. And streaming platforms. And streaming platforms. And um, the first three days of streaming, they got like billions of minutes streamed. So, of course, those first three episodes, you know, that's three right. hours. So that's already a lot of minutes that they're getting streamed just from one person watching it. Um, and it, it it is all marketing stuff in terms of that so they can brag later on. So that's, a, to me, a bit of a conflated number. Like, they constructed stuff so they they could get that statistic and brag about it later on. However... But being it, number one, you can't really screw with that statistic. And that many minutes, that's still super impressive. Yeah. That they got that many people to watch that many minutes of the show within the first three days. It's astounding. Um, this has paid off, I think, in a big way for Amazon. Yeah. And one of the, I think it was one of the first articles you shared with me from GQ talking about like how much money was being thrown at this show. And yeah, if those are the numbers, it's really paying off. Yeah. And the budget for TV shows, Game of Thrones blew budgets out of the water, basically, as the first really big fantasy series that was using tons of locations, tons of CGI. Tons of costuming. Yes. People. They, they were doing Lord of the Rings scale stuff on a weekly basis for HBO. And if you think back to the final few seasons of Friends, the six primary actors were getting a million dollars per episode. And that was... Groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, and that was the early 2000s. Um, so right off the bat, each episode's budget was $6 million just to have the six primary actors there. That's nothing else. So we're talking tens of millions of dollars per episode for this TV series. It has to be. Yeah. And it looks like it, like it looks so good in all the aspects. Yeah. Another thing from the Q&A with Rick Jenkins was um, someone who had similar feelings about the ways that I did. And they were like, where's the Avendisora leaf? which was like the leaf on how you, you move it, and that's what opens a portal in the ways, in the way gates. And he's like, oh, did we forget about it? And had a picture of um, Padden Fane holding a leaf, which I don't remember from the episode, so I'm wondering if it's in one of the x-ray bits mm. that we haven't, that we're going to review for a future episode. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was nice of this person being like, haha, I think I got you, and Rafe Jenkins being like, nope. Here's the receipt. <laughs> it, 
And it's that level of stuff. I remember with the Lord of the Rings watching the supplementary features on the DVDs so many times to get the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I'm looking forward to reviewing the supplementary materials and chatting about it because I think that there's a whole lot that we didn't see or that we didn't notice that's going to be pointed out in the stuff that's already been released. And then I feel they're going to push out a few more things as well, um, especially to keep excitement up, because who knows when the second season is coming out. They haven't told us, but they're going to want to keep us on the hook. Yeah, they they want to keep our interest. So I'm hoping that they're going to do some sort of special, sort of like the BBC does holiday specials. Oh, like that's the, the call, the call the midwife holiday special. Um, I hope that they do some sort of like, hey, it's the beginning of summer. Here's some Wheel of Time stuff. Oh, or a little bit like short tracks to help keep interest peaked in between. Yeah, right after they launched Discovery as the first Star Trek series in twenty years, and to keep interest up, they did these little short track episodes in between. Yeah, and then leading off to Picard and Lower Decks. Yeah. Um, one of those content things I think would be great. Uh, Taylor Napier, one of the warders for Alana, made a joke about a warder calendar coming out and the proceeds going to Alana's fig fund. <laughs> so if you remember from episode six, they exit the hall, Alana's looking stressed, and Maxim is right there, hands her a fig. And then she, as she's about to eat the fig, Leandrin comes in, she sort of masks her sour expression. The fact that she has to talk to Leandrin. <laughs> so, um, if they did have a calendar like that, that would be hilarious. Well, they did. Like, they did one. Well, no, they gave one away. It's the Warner calendar. Oh, I thought it was just a calendar of images from the show. No. With, like, featuring Daniel Henney's face. No, was, it was promoted by Amazon as a Warner calendar. Oh. Yes. With six months of Daniel Henney's abs? Probably. But... Um, that's a legit thing, and I commented, I'm like, where can I buy this? They haven't answered <laughs> me. Um, but that would be fun. Oh, yeah, that was a fun Instagram thing. They figured that part out, at least. Yeah. <laughs> so this episode, um... Yeah, if we actually get down to business on it. I, well, yeah, I think all of this really ties in, though. And, um, we've seen, much like at the very far end of this episode, a wave crusting... Um, yeah. we are seeing the crest of a lot of storylines and excitement for the series. I'm seeing so much more engagement online with the social media posts. Just the number of likes that some things are getting on Facebook has gone up and up and up as the weeks have gone on. Oh, official stuff or? Official stuff. Accounts? No, official stuff. Like on uh, the um, official Facebook page. The posts are getting more likes. And at the beginning, uh, before the season and after the first couple episodes, their posts were getting like 200 likes and things like that, which is like, oh, they paid a lot of money for this series. And they even did those showings that we went to. Oh, in the movie to, theaters, yeah. To get the excitement going. And um, at the beginning, it didn't really pay off. But... I think that there is hunger out there for it. We're going to see a lot of people really support it. You watch The Expanse, which is another Amazon series. and uh, Yeah, because it, it was on a different network. It got canceled. Uh, Amazon picked it up, and there was a whole campaign 
of like you need to keep the show going it's amazing and which is true it is really good and i hope people watch it because it's also one of those like high sort of high sci-fi shows or high fantasy mm -hmm. but the sci-fi equivalent um and it's well done and the actors do a great job uh and which also means the writers must also do a good job too but that's the sort of thing like amazon pushes the expand they will choose a series each go around and that is their series that they're promoting so much they're oh. they're pushing it out it's on their banner i see what you even mean. on amazon they do that for the expanse when there's a new season unfortunately the new season of the expanse started right in the middle of the season of wheel of time so they're a little busy with their efforts and their focus i mean i'll still make time for it yes um but um we'll see what they do because they uh, they've been touting this a lot and we don't get the uh, Golden Globes. The Golden Globe nominations, have they come out? Yes. Because Golden Globes oh, cause some of the... happen like a month before the Oscars. And there's some controversy of Midnight Mass not being nominated for things because it's a horror show. If um, it was like a drama or a romance or something, it might have gotten more. Attention. Yeah. So it's too late for this award season, but then we're going to swing around um, to September with the Emmys or the fall with the Emmys. And it'll be cool to see if this is nominated for anything outside of special effects or something like that, because that's typically where yeah. fantasy or sci-fi are relegated. They're like, you're nominated for soundtrack and special effects and makeup and costumes. You never really get acting nominations for these sort of series, which is unfortunate because just like Midnight Mass, they wrote it off as a horror this, they can be like, ah, it's a fantasy series. Only the nerds like it. Yeah. But, but Although but, I really do hope that they win things for the costume designs, because those people did an amazing job. Yeah, they did. Um, and Return of the King winning Best Picture in 2005, I think it was. Um, oh, yeah. Or 2004. Or I think we, we, we were, were high school. Yeah, we were seeing high school. Yeah, because it came out in late 2003 and it just made the nomination period for the Oscars. But yeah, a fellowship, I think, got nominated for like best song because yes. of Enya. Yes. And hashtag new age ladies of the 90s who <laughs> hold a special place in my heart. That's a that's a long hashtag. Um, uh, so hopefully this gets some award recognition. And I think this episode brings us some beats that are worthy of consideration. Oh, even more than episode six, you think? Yeah, uh, I don't six know. Six is so good. Yeah, but this, you, you don't submit a particular episode for, well, I guess you do. So if you want, like, acting awards, you submit a particular episode. So. I mean, I don't know how that works, so yeah. defer to your judgment. Okay, so um, why don't we dive into this episode? Yeah, we get a prologue, which... When you read the books, you get from the very get-go. Uh, mm, mm, yes, no, it no. starts with the prologue of it does, Luz Theron. Yeah, but it starts with a, a real dingy, murdery promo of Luz Theron. It does not start with this beautiful city with Jetsons cars. No, but you get to see Luz Theron. You get some of these callback artifacts. So in this prologue, the head Aesodai is the Tamerlan seat, not the Amerlin seat. And so 
in the prologue and like in also in the singing with a capital S um, in the book, you get these little nuggets that are referenced later that are somehow altered over the passage of time through the breaking of the world. That they pointed out, oh, the Tamerlan seat. Which, I mean, spellings change, just like Emmonsfield used to be Amonsfield. Yeah, but it's it's a nice progression. Like, you can look at it and tell that 3,000 years of tellings and retellings have passed and mm -hmm. a major cataclysm had happened. Yes. But you get the... And you don't get the flying cards right away. You get this great dialogue between Luce Theron and... Who's wearing a very nice brooch. I mean... We're in the holiday season right now. He could wear that to a Christmas party, and it would be on point, auntie, to wear. He could, and Latra the Tamerlan seat, and they're discussing if Lucerin should go to the Dark One's prison or try to trap the Dark One, and the use of the male power to do that, Sadine, and in a great bit of foresight, she's like. No, you're going to expose Sadine to the Dark One and the Dark One's corruption. It's going to drive all of you mad, and then we're going to be the ones left to pick up the pieces. And I think that's actual dialogue the, of the, we will be here to pick up what's broken, mm. basically. Yeah. And it's, it still sort of fits into the, the book canon, where originally the Dark, no one knew about the Dark One. Until they were like, oh, what's this new power source? We'll dig our way into it. And they created the boar, which is where the Dark One came out and started the War of Power, which led up to Luce Theron and the 99 or 100 companions um, sealing away the Dark One. So that part, it still sort of fits in. It's just a slightly different retelling of it, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. And you do get this beautiful cityscape afterwards in the background. Um, with the flying cars and the skyscrapers, and it's very idyllic looking. It's beautiful. Yeah, and you can see um, just how advanced the culture was and how messed up it got in the interceding 3,000 years. Like, yeah. I mean, Leitra's warning was, you're going to throw us back a 1,000 years, but really it was more than that. Yeah, well, a 1,000 years from their standpoint. So they could have advanced to flying cars from where they were. Oh, in in those thousand years. So the, so maybe they went... What we're seeing is what was 4,000 years ago <laughs> in this world. Um, and I think we got a little tease. I think they're going to show us more of this in the future. They have to. Do you think they'll show Luce Theron going insane? Yes, they will. And I think they're going to tie that into Rand's madness. Which they've already... They've they, done in the books. Like, it's... And a useful storytelling thing of, like, this conflict that's set up with this character. Trying to stay sane, trying to sort of battle for his consciousness of, like, is it going to be him or is it going to be this ghost of Luce Theron who's trying to grab the power away from Rand to do things and who just sort of, like, goes wailing off in the distance in his mania of, like, my wife, my wife. Um... And that conflict, it'll be, I think the TV series will do a better job of it within the books. Yeah. Also, well, I'll save it for the end, okay. um, where the TV series, one of the characters is more advanced. Like, it took those character 14 books to get where the TV character got. 
mm. in one season. So that was super exciting. <laughs> um, so the prologue, then we get the last credit scene. The opening credits. I love Pre- the opening credits. Yeah, it's the last time you'll see those. Well, until I rewatch an episode. Well, true. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, on that, do you think that the series is rewatchable? I mean, I've seen episodes multiple times. <laughs> yes. Do you think that you'll pick this up when you get bored at some point? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I will. I don't know if... I would do it in the time between now and when it's appropriate to do a season one rewatch before season two starts. Mm. Yeah, I guess it depends on when they drop season two. But certain episodes, for sure. Yeah. Episode two, episode six, I would be more game for rewatching. Yeah. So we get Maureen and Rand walking through the blight. We get this callback to the Seven Towers of Malkir, and some good world building in the dialogue. They do a good job of putting in things like, it looks like it's been this way for a thousand years, and Morgan is like, it's been 40. At most, 40 years, which land looks real good. I mean, (laughs) yes, that calendar. Yeah. And the fact that the Blight has advanced so far, it used to be miles away from the Gap, and now uncomfortably close for Sheenar to have the blight that close mm-hmm. um, to Tarwin's Gap. So the fact that there was this whole country 40 years ago, like this whole expanse of a country, and now the entire thing and more had been eaten by the blight is a big deal. Uh, Rand has this dream of the Dark One killing Moraine, and the Dark One knows a lot, knows mm. who the dragon is, knows Rand's father and they have this sort of dialogue and Rand's like I'm not buying it I'm going to stab myself to end this dream because clearly you are the dark one and the shadow and I don't want anything to do with you mm-hmm. but this is a fun moment of the dark one sort of reaching out um, touching Rand's face and being like you look nothing like Luz Theron but you are him and like I can tell behind your eyes and like Sort of that looking through someone to their soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you read the books and you find out like, oh, these two were best friends at one point, that sort of makes sense for why the Dark One would reach out and be like, oh, you're my friend, sort of. Mm-hmm. Even though we're on opposite end sides of this war. And the whole like, do you even have a plan dialogue? Was fairly well done. Do you even channel? Yeah. Have you even done this before? Um, and also the Dark One showing up in basically formal wear. He needs to go to a tux fitting because... Oh, I like the outfits. Oh, no, thank you. The it, Age of Legend outfits from the prologue? And the prologue looked fine. This one did not. This looks like a half-done get-up to go to the opera. I mean, is he the Phantom of the Opera? Maybe. <laughs> I thought it looked good. Um, it ju- if they had chosen different colors, it would look better. It is too close to our current version of formal wear with a white shirt and a black jacket. But the male ASDI wore black. Like, that was Luce Theron's coat outfit in the prologue versus the Tamerlan who was wearing white. Yes. 
Um, so I don't, I don't, so I are think, you saying that the dark one is a mix of both? I'm saying that the comparison to our formal wear is less that and more a byproduct of the Age of Legends where you wore, you wore outfits depending on who you were. Like the Ace Sedai wearing colors. Yeah. Yes. So, um, he wakes up, Maureen does talk about the plan of like, I'm going to give you this sangreal. So in the, the metaphors of, if you on your own are a candle, and within individuals, like Nynaeve is one of those like really bright candles versus other people who are like those three wick candles towards the end of its life where it's like barely mm. flickering. Um, if that's you as an individual, like a small fire would be you with an angrel, and you with a saw angrel would be like a whole bonfire. Mm. Like where you worry about the trees in these people's woods that are going to catch on fire. So it's immensely powerful. So she hands him this saw angrel, and like, you're going to know what to do. And this is going to give you all the power that you need to do it. And the lore varies a little bit, but basically the same. Like you pour, people pour their strength into these angrel and say angrel to create them. Um, and there's so very few. Saw angrel are super rare. I think they were rare anyway from the Age of Legends because it took so much out of you to create one. Mm. And like, while you're in the process of creating it, you can't really do much else with the power. Like, it's, it sort of puts you as a disadvantage. Like, you're capping your ability, pouring it all into one task. And then, even through the breaking, there's just very few left. Mm. You get sort of these reverential reveren references to it in the White Tower of, like, someone's rod has a special satin-lined case, and they're kept under lock and key. And... Moraine caught a lot of flack for even having one on her travels outside the tower in Angriel, in the books. Mm. We haven't seen one in... for her using it in the show. But, yeah. But yeah, they're... So she's like, uh, keep this on you, and when you channel it, you'll know that, like, your body will do it instinctively. And yeah. when you do, put it into this. Like, force it through this or you, you channel through it yes and that's what it allows you to pull so much more yeah and one of the things that we've talked about with Nynaeve is sort of central to her character in the books is that she has this block where she can't channel unless she's super angry and we don't necessarily see that in the show but we do get an element of that in sort of Moraine's backstory as she's telling Rand when you need to reach out to the power it will be there for you because she, it sounded like she had a block when she was a novice, and this ASDI sort of took her as a pet project to like, we're going to break you of this, and included beating her with the Maureen with the power. Yeah. Until Maureen was able to reach out. And in the books, you sort of get an ex exploration of blocks. Like, it's not that unheard of for someone to have one, and there's different aspects. Like, someone would only be able to channel if they were flirting or something or and like someone dressed up as a per as the person the woman was flirting with and then did the big reveal and was like oh har har i can channel now that's real complicated i know 
And there's other ways that they do it. Well, anyway. anyway. Um, <laughs> at, well, we do get Nynaeve referencing that she hasn't been able to really listen to the wind no. since she did the big the heel. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the start of her being blocked. And we're going to have to see how she works around that next season. Yeah. Because... That was sort of central to being a wisdom. Like, your job was to listen to the wind and tell the weather and help your village get through it. Yeah. So we get a flash of Egwene and Perrin at Valdara, making sure that they're on solid friend footing. And talking about, like, but I love Rand. And Perrin's like, I love him too. I'm also, like, very worried. Yeah. So it's nice to get, like, the types of love. Yeah. Like, fraternal versus family versus chosen family versus romance. Yeah. That's cool. We get a nice moment between Lan and Nynaeve where Lan reveals that Moraine has still masked the bond between the two of them. And Nynaeve is like, I wasn't actually tracking you, I was tracking her. So if you want to go after her, like I can tell that you want to, here's how you do it. Mm. And we don't find that out. We don't know what Moraine's tell is. No. But apparently she is somewhat sloppy as she travels. Yeah. Allowing Nynaeve and then Lan to be able to follow her. So then we get the listening to the wind scene with Nynaeve and Egwene. And I think it's doing a good job of differentiating listening to the wind in terms of weather and listening to the wind in terms of world events that are like a storm of events. Danger. The, that metaphor as it descends yeah. upon you. So they do a decent job in the books. I think they do a better job in the show. Yeah. Describing how, like, it should be, something is wrong. It's, it's that feeling where you want to batten down the hatches. But it's not about the weather. It's about the metaphorical weather around you of the events. Yeah. And my name's like, well, how bad is it? And... Egwene is like, oh, girl, it's so bad. It's so much worse than it was before. If it was a whisper before, it's a scream. Yeah. And we get the news of the Stvalic invasion, um, which I think is also, like, decent visual. Like, you get it from behind with all the waving of swords and sort of the chaos that is a Trolloc army. Mm -hmm. So we go back to Moraine and Lan. They get to a Stepwell which is the eye of the world. And step wells are these beautiful architectural structures where stairs sort of lacing down. And they're a thing in India of like hundreds of years old. And they're even restoring a bunch of step wells as a mean of like a cultural touchstone as well as water security. Mm. So that was really cool. Cause I, yeah. BBC had a good article about them. And then I looked down and like, Oh, that's one of those. I just read about those. <laughs> and they're beautiful. This one, less so, because it's sort of the epicenter for the blight. Mm. So it's covered in vines. It's it looks real slippery. I mean, you, there are no handrails. No. Um, Land's running after them. And then we go back to Faldara with Egelmar and Amelisa. And sort of the desperation of the situation. Yeah, and Egelmar's like, we're not going to survive. Everything's going to fall. 
but we have to do our best to give the rest of the world a fighting chance. Yes, because of it makes the most sense to try and block up the army at the narrowest point and hold them off for as long as possible. Um, Which, spoiler, not that long. That's true. <laughs> they got a few hours out of that. Some talk of armor and the fact that their family has always stood and Faldara has never fallen. To be fair, it's only a thousand years old. It was built after the Trolloc Wars, where hordes yeah. and hordes came out of the Blight and destroyed so much. Then we are back at the Eye of the World. Rand is like, I remember this place. There's a like little mirage of Lusteren and a little mirage of the Dark One. Yeah, they go down and they're basically on the seal. Yes. So the Dark One is like way down there. We're supposed to be like way below. Yes. Where Moraine and Rand are standing. Yes. And when in episode... I think when Stefan is talking about the Forsaken there's 13 of them and they are sealed in the Dark One's prison as well like in different layers right? yeah okay and like in the books you get there are some closer to the surface than others yeah right and one of them wasn't really all that sealed up anyway but that's a thing for later um so there's different layers that people are trapped within the prison. And there's this great seal over it. So theoretically, it's like the depths mm. would be the metaphor. Um, and there's this dark... As Rand is talking, he touches the seal and sort of the real world him falls down, very Frodo-like. Mm. And he's in this dream sequence with him and a grain and they have a little family joya which is a nice like canon callback for folks from the books um and he's like this is the world that you could have he being the dark one yes like once Rand figures out this isn't exactly real even though a grain tells him the tell me something only you would know test yeah except Rand would know right so if this is all built off of Rand's subconscious this is Rand being... Like, of course, yeah. this John Egwene is going to tell him. And by the way, her. what they carved on a tree is like a paragraph. That would have... They did not carve that when they were going to go back home the next morning after running away when they were little. Like, that would have taken a day. That would have taken a very large tree and a ladder to get yes. the paragraph down. So... We get that in the real world, Moraine is sort of holding Rand, and the Dark One is shows up, and she tries to attack him, but he rebuffs her fairly easily. And you see the sort of shield netting sink in on her, and she had this sort of gasp agony moment, sort of like Loghain did when he was gentled. Mm-hmm. And you're like, is she still? Do yeah, you know? Nothing came out like it did with Loghain. Right, there wasn't this, I don't know if that was because of the the corruption, but it's not exactly like the corruption was coming out of him, like it, he's still yeah. on the edge of madness, Loghain is. So, that moment is, seems significant. Yeah. But perhaps to Moraine for like, still going through, she's like, 
I was ready for this. And she holds a knife to Rand's throat and I'm like... <laughs> She's like, I'll cut him. If he doesn't choose the light... I will slice him to ribbons. Yeah. I will choose for the rest of the world what's going to happen here. <laughs> Moraine woke up and chose violence. <laughs> yeah. So, Amalicia is left in charge of the defense of Faldara. And she... Uh, does a gr- seems to do a great job. Like, she knows exactly what to do. She sends people to their stations. She puts her dad's armor on. She's like, my brother didn't want it. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, everyone else is busy with the defense of the city, but Ingtar, Uno, sort of Egelmar's inner circle of guards, is digging up the throne room. We're not entirely sure why. Um, like, they're not doing anything to defend the city. Yeah, and the city, everyone who is native to Faldara, all the Shinarin, need to stay. Anyone who is a foreigner can leave within an hour. So we see Min hopping yeah, on a wagon. Min's piecing out. She's like, I'm not sticking around for this. She knows. She saw the vision earlier in the episode. Yes. Of a bunch of soldiers dying. Yeah, because Nynaeve was trying to get answers from Min as to, like, where are they? How can we help? Yeah, so What's Min, happening? Min And then knows. Min gets these visions of soldiers dying and Nynaeve pulling too much of the power. So she's like, nope. Yeah, I can't blame her. No. And Amalicia must have some second-in-command in charge of the city because she's out front. She put word through the city for if anyone can channel to meet her out there, and there's only two other women who can channel a little bit. Yeah. Neither are strong enough to being close to an Aesidae or haven't gotten to the enough yeah. to go out there with her. And Loyal and Perrin have a moment together of, like, what can we do? And Loyal's like, ask. Like, if if you're working within the framework of the Way of the Leaf and you don't know what to do, ask. Which is nice and direct. Like, Loyal being awesome. I like Loyal as a character for many reasons. Back in the dream... There's Ishamel who shows up. You can remake the world. He sort of freezes. I'm amazed at how little Rand knows. Like, mm. he doesn't have any real memories, any real abilities from Luce Theron. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Like, that. that's later in the book. That Rand is like, I don't really know how I did that, but I think Luce Theron knew. Mm. And but he Rand currently has nothing, and the Dark One is very confused by this. Um, Moraine edges a little bit closer with the knife, like she's not taking any chances. No, she's drawing blood. Yeah. And then who should appear but Padden Fane? Ingtar makes a reference to like Dark Friends being known to be in the city, and so. There's a knock at the door, a voice gives the password, and these two women are just like, how did you know the password? You're not from here. Mm-hmm. And the fades and those two guards. Yeah, they're decapitated. Yeah. But it makes sense that the dark fiends in the city would have passed on that information to Patton Fane so that he could bypass the city's defenses. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot happening in short succession, so we're sort of hopping from character to character 
as the episode sort of crests. So the women who can channel outside Faldara all link. And Amelisa gives it like a good description of like, let me in, let me channel through you. Mm -hmm. And she sort of, it seems like they're just sort of like waving and shaking, but it's a really good manifestation of the books that you don't really have any control when you're linked with someone. Mm -hmm. You have to trust them to take control gently, which I don't think Amelisa does because they all sort of gasp and, yeah. um, and shake, yeah. basically, because it's a very rough link. And Amelisa has had some training, but she doesn't know all, enough mm -hmm. to know like when is too much and how to end the link. We get the fates going through Faldara, and in the Saran dream where Ishamiel is tempting Rand with this image of Egwene as his wife, and he's like, no, like, this is what I want, but it's not what she wants. Yeah. And it's his evolution of, like, I respect Egwene's decision. Yeah. It, I mean, it may not be what I had wanted for her, mm -hmm. but it's her choice to make. Which is what you finally get in the books after like 14 books. Oh. Rand finally gets there. Oh. It's part of what makes him so insufferable to read is this sort of, what's the word, patronizing attitude that he has. Yeah. And he finally gets like, oh, it's her decision. I need to respect that decision because I love her and I'm a good friend. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I think I'm in book five. Right now, before, and, 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 and it's still like I'm slowing down in a major way because of the Rand chapters. Yes, and he feels this responsibility for any woman who comes to harm because of him, and it's just like respect their choices. Yeah, so I'll try not to spoil that too much, but there's another great scene of like respect our choices, and he still doesn't get it, and so. He has this burst of power. He remembers the Sa'angriel. He channels into it, so he's... It glows a very nice 90s neon green, which I appreciate. Yes. He... I don't know why he holds it up in front of Ishamiel, but then he just... Like, blasts him. Blasts him. Ishamiel disappears, and there's a huge crack in the seal. Meanwhile... The fortress at Tarwin's Gap has fallen. Yeah. Agelmar got real impaled. R.I.P. And the trials come pouring out. Amelicia and the other four, including Nynaeve and Egwene, are linked. She has this awesome lightning effect. Sort of a callback to in episode two, when we hear the story of Manetherin and the Queen drawing so much of the power and the Trollocs not being able to escape mm -hmm. her vengeful fires. And... But her ladies are burning out. Yeah. The Malkiri woman is the first to fall. Then the older woman. And, like, it's not a good... It's a cool effect and to show, They're... like, that you burn up from the inside out. Yeah, like, the... your face, your eyes melt, like... They get real crispy. Well done. Yes. And... They're like that piece of cheese that melts off the pizza in the oven. <laughs> Egwene is like, stop it, let us go. And Amelisa can't. 
And Nynaeve somehow shields Egwene. Like, she herself burns up to protect Egwene. Mm. So she's crispy. Amelie says, what falls to the bottom of the oven? Yeah. And it's just Egwene left holding a crispy Nynaeve. Yeah, but all the Trollocs are dead. Yes. Like, they accomplished their goal. Yeah, they But at the cost of the Shinar royal line, there is no one left of that royal family. Of the Faldara family. Yeah. They rule Shinar, don't they? No, those are folks in Fal Moran, I think. Oh. They're like leaders of the most significant city. Oh, okay. Well, R.I.P. to the royal line of Faldara. (laughs) But at least the Black Hawk of Shinar is still... Yes. Up and flying. Uh, we get a little bit of reciprocity for Nynaeve saving Egrain. Egrain heals Nynaeve, which is super impressive. Like, if you were about to burn out from channeling so much power, like, I wouldn't have thought it possible. Yeah. But it's a little bit that Egrain puts out, so that still makes sense. And even though healing is not necessarily one of Egrain's strengths, she is able, in this case, to do enough, like, her desire, her Compassion. focus is focusing on trying to save Nynaeve and the power makes it happen for her. Yeah. So it's sort of like when Moraine is saying, when you need it, the power will be there. And it's there for Egwene when she needs it in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it's there for Rand. But with her being separated from the source, like, those words of comfort don't mean anything to herself anymore. Yeah. So Land gets there after Rand says, like, I'm peacing out. Tell people I died. I can't be near them because I'm going to go crazy and kill them all. And Maureen's like, well, I can't lie. And he's like, uh, you can work your way around it. I've seen you do a girl. Yeah. And he just sort of leaves her there. She doesn't tell him what happened to her. She can barely tell Lan, and they've been bonded for 20 years. Yeah. And after this moment, they look at the seal. It's Hearthstone slash Quindalar. And when people have, like, collections of fine dining ware made of Quindalar, because it's unbreakable, like, you don't need to worry about dropping that on the way to the table Mm. or getting chipped in the sink. Yeah. Like, it's nigh impossible to break. And yet... Rand created this, these cracks, and... So, did he create cracks in the seal? Yeah, because when he got there, the seal was whole. Yeah. I mean, it was real dingy and yucky looking. Yeah. So, this isn't great news for the world. No. Moraine is like, I don't think this was the last battle. I think this was the first. Yeah, and I'm still super surprised that she doesn't tell Land. Because I feel... She tells Land that she can't channel. No, she doesn't tell Land that Rand is still alive. Oh. She does her I Sedai skirting the truth thing. And I feel she would have told Lan. She should have told Lan. Because what's her next move? Her because I mean, her, does she even know her she thought this was gonna be the last battle. Like her job was to get the dragon there. And then But her whole goal going back a couple episodes, is to make sure that he survives. Right, but she thought this was what she needed to get him to, that there yes. afterwards... But she should realize that matter. this it wasn't the last battle. I still have to do my job. 
to make sure he lives so he can still do what he's destined to do. And she sort of needs land for that. Does she? I feel like she'd be able to find a way, but she has to figure out what to do next. Mm. She doesn't... Well, I hope if, this... if everything leading up to it, like up until five minutes before this experience for her, was like, this is the end, this is the end of the world, like this is the last battle. And then to realize, oh shit, there's so much more that we need to do. Like, if this is the first skirmish, the first battle in this war, like, I don't think she had planned for that as a contingency. Mm. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's a. And Rosan Pike does a good job, I feel, of, like, showing us. That this was the plan, and there wasn't anything planned for after it, because this was going to be like a one and done, mm. good versus evil, good wins. Lot it doesn't matter what happens afterwards, and now it's like, oh no, yeah. Um. Also in Faldara, we find out what Ingtar Uno and the crew were digging. It was the horn of Valer. Which will summon the great heroes in the pattern. So way back when, in episode three, when we talked about Brugita, the archer, she is one of many heroes from the pattern. They uh, they get spat out, they have similar traits, they do wondrous things, and something happens. And their soul and these were... goes back into the pattern. Like, like it goes out, goes in, goes out, goes in. Well, this was even referenced earlier in the episode by the Dark One. Like, last last time you faced me, you had 99 companions. The 99 companions were not the heroes of the pattern. What? Those were just... There is a, a group... There are two groups of 100 people running around in the pattern, is that, what you're telling me? No, the 100 companion were Aes Sedai. It was just like, come on, troops, we're going to do this thing. Versus... Like, William so Tell or Paul Bunyan or, like... So there's two sets of 100 things No, in this telling. We don't know how many heroes, great heroes from the pattern there are, but the 100 companions are not the great heroes. Oh. Brigitte is not an Aes Sedai. Her man friend with the two swords, with the ugly face, like, when she comes out, he comes out. They have some sort of romance, like, that she's an archer, he's a swordsman. There's always those facts uh, about their lives, and then those lives end. They go into the ether, and then they come back out into the pattern. She's an archer with braids. He's ugly and has swords. Like, that repetition, those, they're not Aes Sedai. They can't channel. They're I, just glorified heroes. That's some sloppy storytelling. It isn't. Like, it should have been... The hundred people were with Luz therein. No, those people went insane. Those were, well, and every other male Aes Sedai, but those hundred companions broke the world. Oh. You don't want them back. Oh, well, whatever. They messy. Okay, well, we'll see what happens when someone toots this horn, and the horn to be tooted was taken. By Head and Fame, Head of Dark Fiends, like, in control of Mirdral. These fades are basically there to do his bidding. Yeah. So which is unprecedented. Like he, a dark fiend 
is the most basic unit. And then Trolloc, and then Mirdral, and then, like, you work your way up the horrors of Dark Fiends and Dark Spawn. Mm. A Dark Fiend should not be able to command a Fade. And yet, here's Cad and Fane. Yeah, so uh, they murder everyone. Including Loyal, with yeah. the dagger from Shadar Logoth. Yeah. We don't know how... How did he get that? How he got the dagger. Like, once it fell on the floor in that... Arvalon Hotel. And then, well, Lan gathered it up with like some rags. Right. And then, oh, that's true. And then it went to the tower. Theoretically. Yeah. Well, unless he like tried to flush it down the toilet and it didn't go after like three flushes and he was like, fine, and just like threw it in the tank instead. <laughs> in which case, it would have been a very evil toilet. Yes. So we have Head and Fane with the dagger murdering Loyal, stealing the horn. Perrin is aghast and and he's like oh well i can't murder you or whatever and perrin is trying to follow the way of the leaf like he's so trump this is sort of the payoff for him being married and accidentally killing his wife like when he has those interactions with the tuatha on and learns of the way of the leaf he's like maybe this is how i can atone for what i had done i will follow the way of the leaf i will not do any violence which is sort of his frustration with Loyal before. He's like, I don't know what to do um, because my friends are all in danger. And he's trying to hold on to the way of the leaf, but he can't. Like, he still picks up an axe mm. in the face of Cadden Fane. But we do get the great monologue from Cadden Fane. A lot of exposition to yes. fill in the holes of our knowledge from this season, basically. Yeah. He's like, here's, he, here's how everything is connecting. So you can look back over the previous episodes in retrospect. Oh, I really wish characters would do that. They never do. No. But there's five Tavern in one village. Considering there's maybe one a generation, maybe two across the entire world, but there are five in one village. The Nynaeve, Egwene, Rand, Perrin, and Matt. Yeah, and he's like, why do you think I went to your crap town every year? Yeah, of all the places I could be, that is not the place I would have gone. Yeah. And which means Pet and Fane has been deep in this for a long time. Which is what comes out in book two. Yeah, and um, he's been in it for probably years. longer than Moraine, maybe? Or At the same time, probably. Yeah. Like, the Dark One probably would have sensed that the dragon was reborn yeah. at the same time that Guitar had the vision, Yeah, which is basically when he was born. And so he got the... Like the hunter treatment, he got cycled through the, all these evil processes to basically be turned into a hound. Mm. And in his travels, he found this village of five Tavern, and in his evilness, he recognized it for what it was. And it's also revealed that, like the horn, I don't know if we got this in the show, but in the books, the horn of Valer can be tooted by anyone. Like, if a dark fiend toots the horn, the heroes of the pattern will fight on the side of the shadow. Yeah, that hasn't been explained in the show yet. Oh. All they said is that the dragon needs to blow it when yeah. they took it out and then they all got murdered. That's all that was mentioned. And that's similar to that, like, these five sort of pillars to Varen could each also be tempted to work for the shadow. And they would still be important, they would still be Tavern, but they would be on the opposite side hmm. of the light. Yeah. 
So that's sort of the goal of the shadow is to get as many powerful people on your side, as many tools, so that when the final, final battle shows up, they have all the cards. Mm. So, Also, other fun things from the episode, this idea of remaking the world is another bit from the books, like when you get to the very end, that it's like, oh, I remember reading about that. Like, that is a cool thing and unexpected that they can pull something in from the very end mm. into the first season of a show. So the final scene that we get on the far western shore, so like... Well, he... no, we get Rand wandering off into the wilderness like he's Frodo and Sam put together in one, looking over like, oh, this looks like crap. I should walk through it. Yeah, he does what? Where is he walking towards? We don't know. This is a variation, deviation from the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. So it's another one of those moments where it'd be great if they all had phones and could call each other and be like, here's what I learned from my experiences. Yeah. And work together, but this is not a cooperative board game for them. Yeah. Um, so Rand goes off. Land tries to comfort Moraine. Egwene has saved Nynaeve. Karen is looking sad over the corpses, including Loyal. Yeah. As Padden Fane runs away with the Horn of the Lair and the Ruby Dagger from Shadar Logoth. Yes. And Matt shows up. Matt walked back into Tarvalon. Yes. We get like one scene, which. In the pre dawn darkness, I thought it was Shadar Logoth that he went back to, but then I saw the tower in the background. Yeah. And um, I know that we heard from one of our friends that. Uh, they, uh, the actor didn't come back when they were shooting the rest of the season post-COVID. And honestly, that shot that we got of Matt could have been a shot from a previous episode that they didn't use. And they just sort of worked it in because it is really dark. So uh, they, they just need to like digitally put it into a dark background Oh, like cut them out of a previous scene. Yes. And then just replay it with this new filter. Yes. To show like, oh, look, it's Matt. Because they just needed, honestly, it's two seconds that he's on camera. Yeah. And they show, it's a very tight shot of him. And then they switch to showing what he's looking at. Yeah. So. The behind shot. Yeah. So we get all that. Now we're ready for that. Yeah. So Kitty Corner at the other end of the world, where Mygen, the blue sitter, one of the blue sitters, mentioned ships disappearing. You get this fleet of scary ships. There's a lot of horns and tusks attached to the ships. The red sails. And it's the Shanchan who are the worst. Like, the absolute worst. I hate them so much. Yeah, and... This season, we were exposed to existential bad things. So, like... The disembodied shadow. And, like, big concepts, this is the end of the world. Um, We need to defeat it because otherwise it's the end of the world. Which is a trope, I think, in a lot of fantasy. um, Where the final battle is not actually the final battle? It's a trope. I mean, I love Marvel movies, but most of the time it's like, we need to stop this thing or the universe is going to end. Oh. Um, But with this last scene and what it's introducing, this is more day-to-day bad people. It's... 
it's a major complication to yes it is not the big bad they are just evil heinous things so we won't explain i don't think we should talk about anything having to do with them it's too big of a spoiler but you can tell there's channelers yes and there are people behind them telling them what to do so i guess that is our non-spoiler version i guess yes but like obviously and you see a lot of channels like there are channelers on each of these boats there's a lot of boats and like 50 or so like not not entire nation invasion but like a significant landing party. and with that many people who can channel it doesn't look great yeah. or whatever they encounter because they create this wave and it's a tsunami there's like the of course there's a lone small child on the beach gathering clams and then this small child this big wave comes towards a small child and you get like how outsized she is yeah that like metaphor for the world is not prepared for what's coming yeah and that's and of course it's a small child and that's the end of the season yeah where You've read some of the books, but not all. Right. And so based on that knowledge and what we've seen in the show and like the how the show changes things up, takes different elements from stories and rearranges them so they're still present, but with a different set of characters. Mm-hmm. Where do you see our big five going? Well, well, Rand is... I don't know what Rand's doing. That's the hardest to predict, I feel. I think... Matt is very shortly going to meet up with Perrin in the city, along with... Well, he's in Tarvalon. Perrin's in Faldara. Oh, that's Tarvalon? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was in Faldara. No, he, those statues and, like, the White uh, Tower was what was in the background, not, like, the Fortress Tower. Oh, no. I... Mm, I don't know what he's doing there. Like, I... I hope he meets Varen, because I love Varen as a character, and I think the combination of Matt and her would be hilarious so like a nice like they can still do heavy things but also have some comic relief in there too yeah i maybe i also really want to see varon in the show (laughs) so i don't know what he's doing Perrin's obviously going to meet up with my knave and Egwene Mm -hmm. in short order um lan and moraine are probably going to go back to faldara and we need to somehow meet up with some other characters that we know have been cast. So most of the Elaine has been cast. Oh, I see. So, so the Camelin component. The Camelin component. And they I think they cast her brothers as well. So it's not just her going to the White Tower. So I we need to somehow get to Camelin. And I that might be on the journey back as they're working their way because they can't use the ways anymore. Right. Maybe. We don't know. They could also meet up with the Camelin people in Tarvalon because Galad and Gawain train with the warders while Elaine is training with the Aes Sedai. So that's how she can get connected with Egwene and Nynaeve, who also go to become novices. I think they're going to build the world out. They need to. Oh. With They need Camelin for world-building purposes, for what's coming up. Do they? Yes, they do. Okay. Because there are... Um, people who are going to break out of their prison soon enough and go to separate kingdoms and do some shit. Oh, that's 
That's true. So we need more kingdoms where that stuff can happen. Like we, as a dreamer, like eventually, this may be a small minor spoiler, as a dream, all these people that she doesn't recognize basically grabbing crowns out of a box. And it's like, I'll just take this one. So, so anyway, yes. we know that the prison is broken, that that is also where the, the, forsaken, the are. forsaken are trapped. So they're going to start leaking out and they need places to go. Um, and the, we, we have too few locations for them to spread out. That's true. The only major like capital city is Tarvalon that we've seen. Emmonsfield is like backwater nowhere. Baldara is important, but it's in the corner of the world. The borderlands yeah. are in some ways insulated from the political machinations that affect other nations because they They're know too busy. they have a job to do, which yeah. is to defend against the Blight and the Trollocs. Like, they don't have time for any power plays. Yeah. So that's true. We do need some kingdoms built out and they can't do the ways actually because they don't have no gear to guide them they cannot even if oh yeah that's attached to channeling and Nynaver Egwene could open it for them they wouldn't be able to find their way in them so uh, they will have to go the long way I think they will go the long way by to, boat they're on a boat to go to K1 and um that's where they'll meet up with some uh, pretty central characters the narrative interesting um yeah i would say that the camelon people camelon might get built out but the those three characters might go to tarvalon so like they would meet in the middle mm -hmm. it was my it would be my prediction i yeah i think perrin is gonna go so the second book the great hunt if you can tell it's sort of linked to the horn and trying to retrieve the horn yeah so i feel like perrin is going to be the one to pursue instead of Perrin and Matt and Rand. Or, I'm sorry, instead of just Perrin and Rand going off with these soldiers, because the soldiers are now dead. Yeah. But Perrin may have the skill set needed to be able to pursue Patton Fane and would know, like, the Horn of Valair. Yeah. So I don't know in what shape or form. I just feel like that's the, where he's going to go. Yeah. So Matt... Hopefully meeting Baron. Baron but, going but, the but if he doesn't, what's Matt doing in Tarvalon alone? I don't know. Maybe he'll come across Alana. Like, they already built up Alana. Mm. Um, and we know that she bonds a Tavaren. Will it be Matt? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know what he's doing there. But, it's, but they're also shifting so many pieces around from the books for a narrative purpose, which is fine. Yeah. But it's hard to predict now based off of just what I know of the first few books, because they've already sort of wrecked some of those narrative beats. Like, they're just not there anymore for us to consider. That's true. So, and Moraine, I mean, is she stilled forever? Or is she shielded and it's just knotted really well so it won't come undone? Like, I would and, hate, like, I just feel so bad for her. Yeah. I think we need to go back to the tower definitely for the Amarlin in the next season. And maybe we already know that tower politics are bad. And they we didn't really get the indication that they were bad until a few books in. 
So they've already sort of advanced, like, the danger meter in Tarvalon with the Amerlin seat. Like, it's already to, like, book five levels right now where they're like, like, you know, there are alliances being formed and... And a green speaking for a red? Yeah. Who would have predicted Yeah, so I think that we're going to get some of that aspect of stuff that's going to tie in with Moraine. So the only thing, basically, that we do know for sure is we will be pleasantly surprised by how the show rearranges all these bits. Yeah. Yep. So, is there... Who was your Woolhead of the Week? And did you have... Do you have a counterpoint to... I think the Dark One's the Woolhead of the Week. Oh. Bold. I mean, he was real dumb. Um, He didn't even spend a whole lot of time trying to build up Rand. He went right to it where... Oh, I can teach you. Oh, do it now. Um, if he were a smart, evil person, he would have spent a lot of time being like, okay, let me teach you some things so I can build some trust so you start to doubt everything. He took it for granted that the Dragon Reborn, his old friend, some of those tendencies would surface right away, and he'd take advantage of them, and then he'd be free. That... That was a dumb thought process. Yeah. And I think I already spoiled this for everyone, but so Ishamiel, the glowing eyes dude, who we've been referring to as the Dark One, is he the Dark One? Is he really? We don't know. I'm going to put that out there. He's, he's the Dark One of the season. He's the big bad. But is he truly the Dark One? Well... He got blown out of the water. Yes, so that's true. Um, I feel like my woolhead is Amelisa. Hmm. No, I mean that, that that's not true. Her desperation to preserve the city makes sense for why she would burn out. Yeah. The people she was with and get to a point where she couldn't control it anymore. Yeah. So maybe not her. I wish that did make me sad, though. I wish she had a different end. Mm. But at least in the show, she got to do a whole lot more than she did in the book. Yeah. That was good. Like, she had so much more agency in the show than yeah. the books ever gave her. Um, I don't know. I think I'm going to say Rand. Yeah, I was close to saying Rand. If you find out that you're the dragon, and that you will eventually go mad and kill everyone, like, I get why he'd want to distance himself from everyone. But also, he knows so little. Like, he knows mm. that there's a book about the prophecies. Like, there's no indication that he is going to go somewhere to learn more about what he has to do. And if I if that were me, like, I would love to know what I'm supposed to be doing and how. Yeah. And, like, what are the milestones in these prophecies? And he was already starting to buck Moraine on the way there, where she's like, dreams can be really dangerous. What did you see? And he's like, we gotta go. Yeah. He didn't even answer a question. And he knows books are out there, because when he first met Loyal, he's like, oh, the Corathian cycle. Like, those are the dragon prophecies. Like, he... Leaving someone who is connected to resources seems... Like, a poor choice. Like, yeah. even if it's just, we need to go other directions. Like, let's go this away and avoid Faldara. Like, mm-hmm. 
that would make more sense than striking off on his own. Yeah. Because if he doesn't like Maureen, like, if he goes bad and kills her, he wouldn't be as broken up as he would if it was, like, Nynaeve and Egwene all together. Yeah. And his friends. Yep. But yeah, it was a solid episode. Mm -hmm. I was getting all sorts of, like, the feels during it. Like, what's going to happen? I don't know. Yeah. I've read these books so many times. (laughs) So uh, we got a decent number of uh, cliffhangers for each character. Each character is sort of left in limbo. Yeah, of the, what are they going to do next? Yep. So I think they crafted it very well. And they gave us the big overarching cliffhanger, these boats. Those boats. So we not only know, like, this was the first battle, but there are these boats. The setting up them to be the big bad in season two. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a reminder to folks, we are starting to cover the Book of Boba Fett next week. So, um, we will still have a couple episodes of Wheel of Time content, and that's going to be... Separate, there'll be separate episodes from our uh, Book of Boba Fett content. Where I will know nothing and have many questions and thoughts and feelings. Yes. Um, so it will be a fun time for us to dive into our next geek series and see how that treats us. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. It will be a lot of fun because the... Star Wars world is totally different from Wheel of Time. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to say yes, like I know what I'm saying, but I may not. (laughs) So yes. (laughs) (laughs) We are at Two Rivers, Two Takes on Instagram. So let us know what your thoughts and feelings are as well. Yeah, we really want to hear from you. Um, We hope that you stick around and keep us on your feed for everything that we'll be reviewing because there's not only Book of Boba Fett, there are fun Marvel series coming up that I'm looking forward to, like She-Hulk and um, another Star Wars series, Obi-Wan. Plus, we still have to go through the after content for the Wheel of Time. Yes, so that'll be in the next couple episodes for Wheel of Time content. Um, Then we'll have Season 2. We have the Lord of the Rings series coming up next September, which I can't believe... I mean, we're recording this the end of December. That's nine months away, which is crazy to think about that we're getting so many really cool fantasy, sci-fi, superhero TV series living in the cultural zeitgeist and being super popular. Yeah, it was such a rare thing to find someone else who read the Wheel of Time books and liked them. Yeah. Instead of like your situation where they read a few and just like, this is too... Well, too much. Yeah, and I think if people really want to read them, you need a support system. You need someone else who has either read them or is reading them at the same time so you can get through them together. Um, and I feel this will create an interest in it and um, drive some of those book sales so that more people can check out the content. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll even get adaptations. I think they already did a partial adaptation of the first book as a graphic novel. Maybe we'll get more interpretations of things to make it easier to digest in a written form. Yeah, the transition into graphic novels has, like, even for 
a much, much less renowned series, the Dresden Files, like, they did a graphic novel sort of prologue, tiny little stories, and it made it a lot more accessible, and hopefully a lot more people read it then. Yeah. So, but yeah, two rivers, two takes. Let us know what your predictions are for where these characters go. Yeah, and we will catch you here next week. So until then, stay safe. Stay warm. Be safe if you are someplace like with snow coming as we are. Yes. Um, and take care of one another. See ya. Bye.